Hello, do you want to learn more about ancient Persia? Or maybe just learn it without so much banter? I don't know why you would, but I'm Trevor Cully, and I host the History of Persia podcast, where I'm telling the story of ancient Iranian empires from 700 BC to 700 CE, or thereabouts. You could describe it as from Deokis to Yazdegerd III, if you're into that sort of thing. Normally, this is where I would try to tie my show into the topic of this podcast, but, uh, it's this topic. Ancient Persia, through and through, with all the twists, turns, and Iran shine that you could possibly ask for, and then some. If you want to jump ahead just a little bit, you can find the History of Persia podcast at historyofpersiapodcast.com, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts like this one. Welcome to So You Think You Can Rule Persia, the podcast where we rate and review all the kings of Persia from Diochis to Yazdegerd III. My name is Serial, and my pronouns are they, them. And my name is Umberto, and my pronouns are he, him. So welcome to the fifth episode in our series, and the first one with a person you've probably already heard about. So congratulations, you made it this far. This is Cyrus the Great. I am so excited about it. <laughs> I know nothing about this, and I know nothing about him, except for what we talked about on our previous episode. But it was so outlandish and so exciting that I can't wait to hear more, and actually what he did for the Empire. Yes, we'll have more outlandish stuff, but also more actually grounded stuff, for which we have physical evidence, yeah, so which is far, always nice. So far we had a really interesting um, backstory, or like origin story, which was very clearly probably not 100% accurate to what happened. So I really want to know what events in the future actually made people come up with such a brilliant, prophetized beginning for Cyrus. Yeah, Cyrus is quite important, so it makes sense that they would have come up with a whole cool origin story for him. Especially since we have very little actual real evidence oh. from him, so okay. people had to fill in the gaps somehow. I see. But he apparently did something really, really cool, enough for people to remember and then make stories about him. Yes, you'll find so. out what exactly. Also, yes, heads up to all of the listeners who may be jumping on just for Cyrus the Great, because they know the name Cyrus the Great. <laughs> if you want to know about his youth and his childhood, I recommend going back to Astyages and listening to that, because we're going to skim over yes. the parts that we already covered now. So that's the so previous you know. episode, episode four. Yes, correct. Which was more about Cyrus than about Astyages, if we're yeah, being Yeah, it was honest. basically Cyrus the prequel, so yes. <laughs> if you want to have the full story, start from there. Okay, I'm ready. Nice. Okay, so let's just recap a little bit of what Cyrus is and what is his deal. So when was he born? Now we have a vague idea. He was born somewhere around 580 BC. Mm -hmm. which, not sure, but pretty much when Astyages' reign started five, ten years later. We yes. don't know the details, but that's sort of the According the to some that. of the prophetic dreams and what we talked about in the previous episode, that would make more or less sense. There's like two ten-year periods. First, from when he's born to until he's ten years old, and then when he's ten years old until he's like twenty and creates the empire of Persia. Yeah, basically, he does have this sort of... 20-year time period, and then after that, at some point, roughly, he became yes. you know, king of Persia and all that. 
What we know about Cyrus is that he is a descendant, well, for sure, we know that he is a mm -hmm. descendant of the royal family of Persia. So he tells us that he has been the descendant of at least two generations of rulers, for which we actually have evidence. And Cyrus claims descendants from more people who have already been rulers of Persia. I see. So we can assume that it is a pretty good royal line, and it is reasonable to assume that he was actually Astyages' grandson, because, mm -hmm. well, you know, he was a member of the nobility. It makes sense that... Yeah, Astyages' daughter got married to the king of Persia, or yes, prince of... A noble in Persia. So, like, if we assume that Cyrus is indeed the child of that union... Yes, it there is a relation there. Yes, it's reasonable that that was the actual union based on everybody's standing. And yeah, as we saw in the earlier episode, there are a lot of folkloristic and mm -hmm. fairy tale-ish elements going on with Cyrus because, well, he is the founder of what is commonly known as the Persian Empire, the first Persian Empire, yes. or the Achaemenid Empire, as we'll see. Mm -hmm. So we have a series of different sources we're going to be using. So there's Herodotus, which is our usual friend. Yes. Which is unreliable. Who we already know. Next we have Tejas, who is Even another new fr friend, unreliable. which is more unreliable. <laughs> yeah. Third source is Xenophon, who is super unreliable. Oh, oh! so we're going deeper into the unreliable yes. tiers, I see. So I'm going to tell you a bit about Xenophon quickly so we can go through him later. But Xenophon was an Athenian general and historian who served as a mercenary at the court of a later Achaemenid prince was descended from Cyrus. Okay. And this prince was also called Cyrus. Okay. So what you need to keep in mind for all the Xenophon stories is that they're filtered through three different layers. So first of all, they're filtered through about 200 years of history. Okay, yes. Secondly, they're filtered through what the Persian court that likes Cyrus would tell about him. Uh-huh. And third, they're also filtered through what Xenophon, an Athenian who thinks Spartans are cool, would tell us about him. Pro-Cyrus and pro-Spartan, I see. Yes, so it's very, you know, lots of filters, years ahead but yeah. From, yes. Yeah, I mainly chose to tell you about Xenophon and his book, The Cyropedia, which is basically <laughs> the education of Cyrus. Mostly because this is what people would have been talking about of Cyrus. These are the traits that people would associate with Cyrus. I see. These are all these sort of mythological stories like, you know, George Washington and the cherry tree. You know yes. that... Probably never happened, but it's telling you, okay, this person values honesty mm -hmm. over personal yes, safety. We're we all stories, and so if you want to encourage certain values and teach people about, like, this is a great way of being a person, we admire this, then you create stories to, you know, get the point across. And yeah, not just so say, like, oh, this man was brave, but, like, in which way was he brave, and what was the story that happened behind that? Yeah, that makes sense. And it makes sense with pretty much... Any nation, especially the ones born in the 19th century, everybody has their national hero mm -hmm. and you have stories for them. A lot of them might be true, a lot of them might not be true or be exaggerated. So this is what we'll be seeing a lot with Cyrus since he's the founder of this whole Great. empire deal. So for Xenophon, I'm going to tell you a few of the stories that are based around Cyrus's youth. Mm -hmm. So to show us how good a child he was. Not only is he a child of prophecy, he's also... An impressively adorable baby. Oh, of course. You can't have one without the other. This is like the magic, wonderful, perfect person of the Empire, so... Yeah, so he is the personification of everything that is good and wonderful that you want to see. So the first story has Cyrus living at the court of Astyages as a young prince. Over there, in this version of the story, Astyages is being very generous with Cyrus, and he's giving him a large amount of the finest meats for himself, so he can go big and strong. Mm-hmm. 
And Cyrus then looks at all these meats and asks, oh, so is this all for me? Can I do what I want Whatever with it? Whatever I want, <laughs> yes. And Asaiju says, yes, 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 of course, my boy. Feel free to have all these meats and do what you will. And at this point, Cyrus then calls up all his different servants and gives them a portion of the meat oh. and says, well, you've taught me how to ride, so you have this big amount of meat, so thank you for your help with me. You instead gifted me a very nice javelin, so here's your portion of meat. You're instead a good servant to my mother, so here's your portion uh -huh. of meat. And then he goes to another servant who is a servant of Astyages and says, here for being such a nice waiter at today's mm -hmm. feast. And so everybody said, oh, Cyrus is such a good kid. Look at him. He's so generous. Yes, so he's thoughtful. so generous. Yeah, mm -hmm. for with no thought for himself, he's just giving out to all these people that he owes mm -hmm. something to, even though he didn't have to. Right, like he doesn't take the servants for granted. He actually recognizes that it's people who are helping him and he wants to pay them forward. And Yeah, which is a nice quality yeah, to have. I, yeah, I, I approve of this. <laughs> and another one, which might be less, less commendable, maybe in modern eyes, but uh -huh. we'll see. So Cyrus was at the court of Astyages just visiting. But he asked his mother, hey, I really would like to stay here. This is a nice place. Can yes. I do this? Is it okay? And his mother then told him, oh, well, you know, Cyrus, you need to learn your lessons. You need to come back to Persia mm -hmm. to learn how to administer justice, for example. You know, you're going to be a king someday. It's important that you learn how this works. You can't just miss school. Like, <laughs> you have important things to, yes, to you learn. You need to do, go to king school and do all these things. And Cyrus instead replies to his mother, oh, but mother, I already know of justice. This uh, teacher has already told me about it. <laughs> and he tells this story because this teacher had given Cyrus a mm. case to judge between two children. Because uh -huh. a larger child had taken a large coat from a smaller child and replaced it with his own smaller coat. Okay. And so the teacher asked Cyrus, what would you do? Do you think this is just? And Cyrus said, well, yes, because now the larger child has a larger coat and the smaller child has a smaller coat, so they fit each other better. Right. But then the teacher sort of whipped Cyrus and said, no, you're not meant to judge which coat fits better. You're meant to respect the law because that it's not, not right to steal things from another person, but, even but, if it might help you. Uh, but that is not judging. That is just following the law without actually having new ones and seeing the consequences of what is happening. And that is, I always say this, that we have this problem nowadays as well. And I always say, humans are not machines. We are capable of rational thinking and we do not have to be programmed in like very simple yes or no kind of questions. So we should be capable of having new ones and recognizing that there is a big gray area where things get muddy and there's it depends on the situation and the person and the you know yeah. so here the teacher probably wasn't giving a great message but you can read it with as much irony as you want <laughs> of cyrus having actually learned a lesson from this i guess you know in one way you can see that yes if the law is there and somebody else already decided for you so you don't really have to apply judgment you just need to see what the book says and do what the book says which, uh, you know... Uh, you know, it depends on the cases, I guess. Not my favorite way of applying judgment. Yeah, it can be improved. But I see your point. But yeah. And, well, a few years pass then, and Cyrus becomes a teenager at Asaiji's court. Oh, and so he stayed? Yes, he apparently uh -huh. managed to stay long enough. Right. And so we get a very cute story about when Cyrus was leaving the court to return back to Persia after, after his, Some years. his mm -hmm. education. So we have that when Cyrus was leaving Astyages' court, he went to all of his different relatives, the relatives of Astyages, and kissed them on the lips, which was the custom in uh, Persia, but mm -hmm. not in media. 
I see. Because this is also something that Herodotus tells us, that when Persians meet each other, if they are of equal rank or relatives, they mm -hmm. kiss each other on the lips. If they are small difference in rank, they kiss each other on the cheek. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, if there's a vast difference in rank, the lower ranked person bows before the right. higher ranked person. I mean, there are similar customs around the world now as well. Yeah, I mean... In Spain, we, you know, we usually kiss each other on the cheek. Uh, sometimes, I'm not very fond of this custom <laughs> because I am very happy to have my personal space and my boundaries but you know i have been taught growing up even if it's a stranger like if someone introduced you to somebody you give them two kisses one on each cheek yeah and also the number of kisses changes based on Depending geography on the, yes. and culture so that's you know things happen customs are weird so let's see what happened here like if it was a misunderstanding or how people reacted a little bit because we have a handsome young median boy coming up to Cyrus and uh, saying, Oh, well, why am I not getting a kiss? Because I'm also <laughs> your relative, so that should be fine. And Cyrus says, Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't recognize you. Sure, of course, here, you can have a kiss. And uh, this young boy then tells Cyrus, Oh, but is this really the custom in Persia? Is this how it uh... works? And um, Cyrus says, yeah, yeah, it's uh, what we normally do. If we see each other after a long time or after some voyage, this is just what we do. And so Cyrus goes off, mm -hmm. uh, travels back towards Persia. But then, at some point, a few hours in, he sees a rider coming from the distance, from media, all in his direction. Oh, oh no. <laughs> hey, you forgot your lunch! <laughs> and uh, he sees that it's actually this young medium boy. I see. Who's running all the way to Cyrus, and Cyrus says, What happened? Did you forget something? Is there something yeah. you need to solve? And uh, the boy says, oh, I'm sorry, it's just that uh, I've been for such a long voyage and I was hoping for another kiss. <laughs> I love this! I love it so much! <laughs> it's really oh, adorable. Beautiful. And uh, Cyrus says, it's just been like a few hours. And uh, the boy replies, oh, well, it's just that the time it takes to blink is an eternity if I don't get to see your face. Oh, which is adorable. <laughs> so cheesy, I yes. love it. And then Cyrus kisses him goodbye and says, don't worry, I'll be back soon and then you can stare at my face all you want. Oh, cute. Which was very adorable. Ador yes, I like it. Yeah. Very smooth, well thought of. Yes. Nice job. <laughs> These are all nice Xenophon stories, which are fun. I see. So back in Persia, then Cyrus grows up, becomes a man, and marries a relative of his. Right. called Kassandane, who was also a princess in Persia, mm -hmm. maybe a lesser ranked one, but get married. And then eventually they'll have two different sons, mm -hmm. one called Cambyses II, and another one called Bardia. Uh -huh. And then uh, they also have two daughters, one of which is called uh, Roxanne. Really? Yes. That <laughs> comes from. I thought Roxana that name was Ro way Roxana, depending on... What version you want to go with. I thought yes. that was way more modern. No, no, it isn't. And then the last daughter, which British audience, I'm sorry, the last daughter is Atossa. She's the one that's going to be important and remember her for a long time because she's cool. So then we finally get to 553 BC, which is the point where we got last episode where Cyrus rebels against Astyages. And again, the only historical fact that we actually know is that Harpagus, remember the general mm -hmm. from last episode, rebels against 
Saiji switches sides to yes. Cyrus and gives the throne to Cyrus. Essentially the winning move. Yeah, and that is the one that we know because it's also corroborated in contemporary Babylonian accounts. Excellent. Where they're saying, huh, weird thing happened. <laughs> Media <laughs> isn't a thing anymore. It's now the Persian Empire. Remember this new empire that happened? Well, there was this battle and like, it was, honestly, I can't believe they did this. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's basically the record that we have. There. I love that is the record of the Babylonians just like looking from the neighboring empire or the neighboring kingdom just like huh i see so that happened okay <laughs> yeah, that's weird but this overthrow does have consequences because if you remember Cyaxares ensured that the median empire was tied by marriage to all of its neighbors hmm. so this is going to cause some issues right right because that's why it was a very safe empire yeah the point was to keep it, yes. everything stable through marriage connections in fact, if you remember, the king of Lydia, Croesus, mm -hmm. was Astyages' brother-in-law. Yes, there was a marriage there. Right. Yes. So Croesus is now looking at what's happening to his east and saying, hmm, this could be an opportunity. Because he has two options. Either he marches on Persia and then gives the throne back to Astyages, at which right. point, great, his ally is back. Mm -hmm. Or he could just claim that as Astyages' brother-in-law... He is technically the one next in line for the yes, throne, and he, he can take has it for more himself. of a yes. He has more of a claim than the Persian kingdom. Yeah, so he could sort of yes get this to improve his power, which is probably what he would do. Yeah, both are fair. So before setting off for this war, he has still a question. He wants to make sure that he's not messing up or anything. Yeah, because it could end up really badly. Yeah, of course. So he sends off a messenger to the Oracle at Delphi to ask. <gasps> How's this going to work out? Yes, I love the Oracle of Delphi. <laughs> yes, always gives very straightforward answers. Yeah, so like great. any Oracle. So you may have already heard this one. This is a, quite a famous anecdote, but Croesus sends a message and says, what will happen if I attack Persia? Mm. And uh, after a few days, the message comes back and it says, if you attack Cyrus, you will destroy a great empire. Right. And Croesus says, great, no room for misinterpretation here, yeah. let's this go. This will go great. I know exactly which empire they're referring to, yes. this will be wonderful. Yeah, perfectly fine. <laughs> so Croesus gathers his army and attacks Cyrus's new empire. But Cyrus is already ready. He already had his army put together, Harpagus is leading it, he knows what he's doing. Yes, right. I mean, they just finished a battle with Astyages. Right, like yeah, they this are is, militarily this is like, a like few months active. later, so they yeah. are ready. They haven't disbanded yet. Yeah, that's so. fine. So these two armies meet at the Halys River, which was the old border between Lydia and the Median Empire, mm -hmm. now the Achaemenid Empire. And at this battle, they clash, but Cyrus manages to win. Right. So Cyrus wins, and Croesus retreats back to his capital at Sardis, which mm. is on the Aegean coast of Anatolia. Mm. And Cyrus is there, sort of taking a moment to reorganize soldiers and trying to make sure that he is ready for an actual siege, an actual invasion. Mm -hmm. At which point Croesus says, okay, this is getting towards winter, yeah. so it doesn't make sense to hold all my soldiers ready, yeah. especially since they need to go back to their homes, their fields, all that yes. sort of thing. We so, do not have war campaigns in winter. No, that is just ridiculous. It's, it's Everyone agreed that this is just not a thing. Yeah, so that's kind of an issue. And also, a lot of his soldiers were mercenaries, so he doesn't want to pay them if he's going to be waiting for Cyrus to come to him. So what Croesus does is he sends messages 
to Babylon, Egypt, and Sparta to ask for help and ensure that they bring his soldiers to him so that they can have the showdown against Cyrus. So by the time that they are there and winter's over, they have reinforcements. Exactly. But at this point, we get an omen. Herodotus tells us of a nice omen that happens in the outskirts of the capital Sardis, because it is invaded by snakes all huh. around the plain of the city. But weirder still, all these snakes are then eaten by a bunch of horses. I'm sorry, what? <laughs> That's very weird. Croesus also asks that question. What what kind of snakes? Just like random old species in the area? Seems like venomous to be random snake, snakes. Just random yes. Okay. Horses do not eat snakes. Yes. Like, I mean, they might, if they're particularly annoying animals, they might like play with them or like kick them. But like, it's not in their diet. It's yeah. not a thing. Eating them? Weird choice. Yes, it's kind of unexpected. I thought you were going to see, like, you know, mongooses or something. Nope. or horses. Birds or a normal animal that already <laughs> eats snakes. Exactly. So Croesus goes to a, his oracles and says, uh -huh. so what was this whole horse snake thing about? Nobody told me about this? What? Huh? And apparently the oracles say that the snakes represent the local population because they're born from the earth. Right. And the horses represent the foreign invaders because they're coming from far away. So this is a bad omen. So snakes are born from the earth? Uh-huh. I see. Ah, I guess. The science holds. Sure. Logical <laughs> enough. Oof. Looks like Croesus made a slight mistake interpreting miscalculations, um, yes. Delphi's oracle's prophecy. So at this point, Cyrus, however, was expecting that Croesus would disband his army. So Cyrus decides, you know what? No, I'm still going to march on Sardis now. I still have enough time to do this. Let's go. Oh, without waiting for reinforcements? Yes. Oh. Because he's seen that Croesus disbanded his army, so it's like, okay, we have our opportunity here. Wait, 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 wait. Who was getting reinforcements? Cyrus or Croesus? Croesus. Okay, yes. so Cyrus just doesn't wait until winter is over. He's yeah, like, he sees, okay, okay, we still have time. Before, before, before the reinforcements Between the winter come, and the reinforcements come, let's attack Croesus first. Oof, okay. They that go, was a decision. <laughs> yeah, decided to do that. So Cyrus goes all the way outside Sardis, and there he faces the little forces that Croesus still had left. Hmm. At this point, Harpagus, who is an experienced ah, general... Yes, we haven't forgotten about still him. there, notices that the Lydians are putting a lot of trust in their cavalry. Hmm. So what does Harpagus do? Well, he prepares a whole host of camels to okay. be placed opposite the Lydian cavalry. Right. Because apparently, according to Herodotus, uh -huh. the horses were so terrified and confused by the smell of the camels... <laughs> <laughs> that they start running away as soon as they get a sniff Not of them. Not by the sight or like because they're big animals or like, no, it's because they smell so bad. Yes, they that smell That they just terrible. run away. <laughs> so Harpagus's plan apparently works, but the Lydians <laughs> are luckily brave, at least for their side. So they jump off the horses and fight hand to hand mm. on foot. But unfortunately for them, the battle is long and hard fought. But in the end, the Persians win. Cyrus right. is victorious on the field of battle. So it paid off to yes. attack early. At this point, the Lydians send out more messengers while Cyrus is besieging the city. And they say, no, seriously, guys, we need help. Please, please. And in what will become a pattern later on, we see that the Spartans send a message back saying, ooh, we'd love to, but we have like a religious festival. We're sorry. <laughs> ooh, good luck, though. I guess they, they were going to send reinforcements and then got news that Croesus' butt had been kicked yet again. And they were like, ah, 
podcast. I mean, we're going to get there and then you're not going to be there anymore. And yeah. like, you'll see that it's a theme that the Spartans don't want to fight if they know there's a chance they'll lose. Which, you know, helps to fame if you want to be like the never defeated. Yeah. Uh, it's a way to do it. Yeah, but unfortunately, this will make their allies very angry in like a couple hundred years. Yeah, that, we'll makes, see. that makes sense. They're not Because I was like, why are you taking credit for our victories? You're always waiting to see if things are going to go well or not. So there begins the Siege of Sardis. So at this point, we have two versions, Herodotus and Tetius. And I'll tell you both, remembering that Tetius is the weirdest one. Hmm. So... Apparently, in the Herodotus version, after 14 days of siege, Cyrus offers a great reward to the first man to be over the walls. So Sardis had a ring of walls, but in one section, the wall is built up to the side of a mountain. Hmm. And it starts to get close to the edge of the walls. I see. And one of the Persian soldiers noticed that a Lydian soldier who was on the wall lost his helmet. Oh. And managed to quite easily get down the wall by okay. climbing down it to pick up his helmet and get back. That's suspicious. Yes. So at this point, the Persian soldier remembers this and gets a small group of friends in the night. Hmm. And he remembers how the Lydian soldier had gotten back up the wall. And with cover of darkness, they climb up and enter the city. Walls are not very effective if they're easy to climb. Yeah. You, like that kind of plan. defeats the purpose. Yeah, it's kind of an issue. It's That's... like, oh, yes, we have our city cover in walls, but our walls also have staircase all over. Yeah. <laughs> Well, Tetius' version is maybe a mishearing of this one. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But apparently, Tetius says that Cyrus built some long, long poles with some dummies on the end that look like Persian soldiers. <laughs> yes. And so... Muppets. Cyrus launched an attack on one side of the Lydian walls. Uh-huh. And then on the other side, he had men with these poles hanging up on top of the other edge of the Lydian walls. So it looked like they were already on yeah, top so of the like wall? Yeah, so it looked like they were already on the walls, and so the Lydians panicked and ran away, and then <laughs> Cyrus managed to make his way. <laughs> that is beautiful. And this is why Tejas is super reliable and everyone loves I, him. I hope this happened. I really I do. I hope that would this be wonderful. happened. Because honestly, if they attacked, was this like in the middle of the night, or was this like just Apparently, normal? this was like a normal Well, Because like, if it's far away enough, and you're not seeing yeah. like every feature and everyone, like as long as they have armor on, yeah, it's, and, as long as they're roughly you know, soldier shape, you don't know. On the other side of the walls, you can't really, you know, most yeah. people, I'm sure they need glasses anyway. So. Yeah, I mean, there's dust from the battle, yeah. you don't know. It's the sun is just shining down, it's, yeah. Yeah, it's a bit troublesome. <laughs> so that's Tejas' version beautiful. of the story, and it's wonderful. So now that Cyrus has entered the city, he mm -hmm. captures Croesus alive. Mm -hmm. But what are we doing with Croesus now? He's the king that tried to dethrone you. What's the plan here? Uh-huh. And again, we have, we actually have kind of three versions. We have Herodotus, Tejas, and Historians. I remember the last time when we captured Astyages. Mm -hmm. It was said that Cyrus was very merciful, not only for sparing his life, but also actually giving him a good position of yeah, politically, you know, like, province. Um, which might or might not be true, but it was part of the myth of Cyrus, right? Like it was part of one of the stories that was mm -hmm. told about him. So what did he do with Croesus. We'll see. Well, we'll start with the versions. So with Herodotus, apparently Cyrus ordered a big pyre to be built upon which Croesus would be burnt for his treachery. Mm. And Croesus went up onto the pyre and muttered under his breath that no living man is happy. Cyrus hears this and is like, what do you mean? What is your, uh, what, is, what are you what? talking about? And Croesus answers that, well, this happened. This Athenian had come over to me and told me that 
well, you know, no living man is happy. You can only count somebody happy once they're dead because you don't know how their story ends. I see. So Cyrus has a little bit of a think about this mm. and uh, the pyre has been uh, lit, lit but okay. Cyrus thinks, oh, wait, but if Croesus, who is another king, can end up like this, I don't want to end up this way. Yeah. So I should probably be merciful as long as I have the chance to do it. Uh-huh. And then that should be good for me. So he orders his men to put out the fire. And... Oh, how thoughtful of him. <laughs> and... I can imagine Croesus just like sweating like, bullets like, yeah. oh my god, the flames. <laughs> <laughs> Please. Yes. And, but apparently this isn't enough to turn off the fire. Oh. So Croesus prays to Apollo. So, hey, please, I've been spared. Save me now. To Apollo? This is a Herodotus story. Okay. Probably didn't I was, worship Apollo. I was so I confused there for a second. I was like, wait. I assume <laughs> it's the local variant. Yes. The local god that for Herodotus is just going to be Apollo because there are no other gods, yeah. apparently. And so suddenly it starts raining and the pyre is extinguished. Which point Cyrus takes this as a sign from the gods and takes Croesus as his personal advisor. Oh, I would. I don't, listen. I like being <laughs> merciful. I don't know if I would do that because all of his choices have led him to lose. So I don't know if I would follow his advice. <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, I think he should have followed the, oracles. I think going that's to the oracle and hearing a great empire will fall and being like, "Well, that can't possibly be my <laughs> empire." Of course not. So. Why? I said there's the Tejas version, and Tejas doesn't like Cyrus, so it might be that he was accessing a median source Okay. when he was at the Achaemenid court later. Mm. Tejas instead tell, tells us that it seems that Croesus fled to the Temple of Apollo and was chained up there by the Persian soldiers mm. three separate times. Oh. And three separate times he got free without any signs of anybody entering or freeing him. Magic. Yeah. The gods. At which point Cyrus killed Croesus' son, who had been given as a hostage, huh. and uh, several loyal Lydians who were accused of freeing the king. Mm. But at this point, Croesus was chained up one more time. Mm. But at this last chaining, a lightning bolt struck his chains okay. and freed him, at which point Cyrus said, hmm. Maybe the gods don't <laughs> want the us gods, to. Yeah, <laughs> don't want this. And so he just gave Cyrus, uh, gave Croesus a city to cover. Yeah, um, clearly... Uh Theseus didn't like Cyrus. Yeah, this is a version he's not very happy with. Also, in Cyrus's origin story, the version that Theseus tells, Cyrus was an escaped slave. Okay. So clearly yeah, it's a version that he doesn't like, like defamate, I guess, in the terms of the time. Yeah. Like, take credit off of Yeah, to make sure Cyrus. that he is not as well-known. But yeah, I see this is Theseus, so nobody really believes this version. Uh. But yeah, what historians say, it's a bit unclear, because some scholars say that he was just executed. As you, you know, would with a yeah. foreign king who invaded you. Others say that Croesus maybe committed suicide when he mm. saw that the date was lost. And others still accept that roughly Herodotus' story makes sense. That maybe there wasn't the whole pyre thing, but yeah. that... That's a bit, you know, poetic. Yeah, sure. But then maybe Cyrus recognized that the value of keeping Croesus alive and ensuring that he yeah. works that out. So... After this victory, Cyrus returns to Agbatana to prepare for future campaigns mm -hmm. and delegated to Harpagus the task of conquering the rest of Anatolia and <laughs> taking over a few of the little Greek city-states that are on I the see. coast of the Aegean. It's like, well, we weren't planning on conquering this the Lydian, Lydian yeah. Empire. We weren't planning on this because you know, we still have like media to deal with and properly establish our rule. But, you know, they attacked us, so yeah. now we have so this fair game. as well. Um, can you, you know, do the bureaucracy? Yeah, just consolidate it, it'll be fine. 
And also, now that, if you remember, we had four great empires in the region. Yes. Now there's three, because the Achaemenid Empire now contains both Media and Lydia. Yes. So... Because Persia was already part of the Media yeah, Empire, Persia and now they have Lydia at that time. the Lydian Empire. At that time. And so we have the Babylonians and, and Egypt. Egypt, right. Which is a little bit further. Yeah, it's a bit further out. It's not bordering yeah. us yet. Are also, the Babylonians nervous now? They are. Ah, I thought so. <laughs> but also another thing that Cyrus gains from conquering Lydia is money. The invention ah. of money. Oh, because literally. Okay, so not yes. riches, but like actual... Yes, because like, Croesus' father had invented money made out of Electrum, which uh -huh. is an alloy of gold and silver uh -huh. that is difficult to use, and it's also why nobody uses it in D&D. &D. <laughs> yes, this is the reason. Yes, like of it, course. You know, there's no other reason. But Croesus had instead made his own coins made of separate gold and separate silver ah. that can be used better, and it's reliable in how yes. much gold and silver they contain. At least it should be reliable. It should be, you know. If you don't trust how money is made, then that breaks down the system. Yes. But this is basically Croesus putting his name behind, yes, I guarantee as king that this works. That this is worth this much and yeah. you can and use it. Yeah, if it weren't worth that much, then well, yep. that's troubled his legitimacy. Yes. And so Cyrus takes all these new Croesid coins ah. and introduces them to the rest of the empire. He doesn't yeah. really reform them much. He just instead takes this thing that seems to be working well for the Lydians, for facilitating mm -hmm. trade and all that. And he just spreads their use across all of the empire. Interesting. Unfortunately for us and for our face of faces round, these coins don't have the faces of the rulers on them yet. Mm. They just have some animal motifs. The creases have either lions or bulls hmm. on one side. And on the other side, there's just a hole where basically a hammer was used to punch in. Yeah, the okay. Remainder of the other yes, bit, so. like you do. Yeah. yeah, so at this point, Cyrus, as we said, has returned to Iran to look at details of further conquests. And we don't really know much about what happens in detail because it's far from Greece and Herodotus doesn't care. But Cyrus basically goes to the east, conquering all the rest of Iran and extending his borders roughly to the edge of modern Pakistan. Okay. While instead to the north, Cyrus expands all the way to the Aral Sea, going a good step into the steppe. Oh, a step into the steppe. <laughs> so yeah. Fun. And in these areas, he also establishes two different cities. He establishes Siriscata and oh. Seropolis. See. So Alexander isn't the only one who names cities after himself. Well, at least he's changing the suffixes. Yeah. I you mean, Siriscata means the city of Cyrus. Yes. So still and not. And Seropolis exactly is also the city, city of Cyrus. Cyrus. <laughs> They're just different language versions. Honestly, but. that's fine. Yeah, at least it's not enough. all of them Alexandria. Yeah, that's an improvement. <laughs> also, what happened with the steppe dwellers, the nomads at the north? So I assume we'll meet you know, them later on. We'll meet them. They are there, right? The yeah, they're still around. But and apparently, according to this rough outline that we're given, that Rodas tells us that he goes up north and east, it seems like he manages to subjugate them well enough. Okay, either whatever that, or that we means. haven't reached problems yet. Yeah, apparently, either these people were close enough that they accept to give tribute to Cyrus. Uh -huh. Maybe it's a more loose thing. Again, we don't okay. have much information, but they seem to be his subjects now. And they are still there. So. They're still in the okay. area, yeah, yeah. The steppe people will be around for the next 2,000 years or so. <laughs> Amazing. All right. But as you said, Babylon uh -huh. has seen this and says, oh, oh dear. Oh, wait. This is uh -huh. problematic. This was fun gossip, except when it has to do with me suddenly. <laughs> yeah. It's getting too close. So it's unclear now who shot first. 
Because uh-huh. it could either be the Babylonians who, after all, Croesus had asked for their help. Yes. So maybe the Babylonians are late and they're yeah. attacking the Persian heartland. But, you know, they didn't realize that Croesus has lost already and now they're screwed because they're already at war. News are still slow. Yeah. Pieces. Or if Cyrus looked at the situation and said, hmm, okay, uh-huh. they might try something on me. This border isn't protected. I should just strike first while I have the chance. Fair. Yeah. Well, didn't we have, like, didn't the Persian Empire have some ties, or the Median Empire, with Babylon? The Median Empire did have some ties with Babylon, but due to a whole series of dynastic issues oh, that they happened... They weakened. Yes. It's... Ugh. Yeah. It's not clear if the dynasty has changed, or at least I'm not sure if the dynasty has changed, or if it's just a distant ruler, but the line of succession has been messed up. Recently. Essentially, we are no longer on friendly terms yes. because of a marriage. Huh. Yeah, the latest king isn't the illegitimate heir. He has ah. taken the throne illegitimately, ah. which could also be a pretext for Cyrus declaring war. He could say, ah, well, but given our relationship through media, that we're here to help. Yes. Oh, sorry. Yes. Huh. So Cyrus invades Babylon and we get some more stories from Herodotus, which are fun. Hey. Because apparently Cyrus has to cross a certain river to get to the Babylonian army. And he begins to cross the river, but one of the sacred horses of the sun Ooh. is uh, dragged away by the current of the river and is lost. <laughs> oh no, that's a bad omen. Yes. So Cyrus is very annoyed by the sacrilege on the part of the river and cursed it to be so weak that it could be crossed without even getting your knees wet. Okay. So he got half of his army on one side of the river and half on the other side of the river and ordered them to divide the channel of the river into 360 different little sections so that it could be easily crossed on foot without any trouble. And so punishing the river for drowning uh, the horse uh, of the This sun. is dangerously close to some Caligula bullshit. <laughs> this is why it's also questionable. I, like, Cyrus, I respect you. I cannot believe you declare war on a river. Yes, this is also why we should question whether or not it's real, because it's Herodotus and it matches the Greek vision of, oh, the scary Eastern god king who thinks he's better than nature itself. Yes, so true. Yeah. This is probably a bit of a, an exaggeration on Herodotus's part. You know, it might make sense that maybe Cyrus used some clever engineering to make probably, the river yeah. easier to cross for his army. It's unlikely that it just did it as, out, out of, of spite. spite. <laughs> yeah, just... Uh, <laughs> There you go. Just use your army's resources to do this really silly job. Yeah, it doesn't make sense to just do it just for this reason, especially if you're at war and time is a factor. You have more important things to attend to. Yeah. Also, why 360, 360? Is that because of the system, like the base system that they used to count, base 60? Close. It's actually because, according to Herodotus, since the river drowned a horse of the sun, 360 is the length of a year. I see. So that's sort of matching there. So after having crossed the river appropriately, (laughs) Cyrus meets the army of the Babylonian king Nabonidus, who was incidentally sometimes called the first archaeologist because he did some interesting digs in Babylon for renovations and he recorded things very well. Oh, well, good. That's neat. Yeah. But anyway, at the field of battle, Cyrus and Nabonidus face each other and, as is the case, Cyrus wins. Mm. Don't have any details, unfortunately, but success is one of the details. It has been established that Cyrus is a force to be reckoned with. Yes, Cyrus has been winning and is good at it. So at this point, we get, again, two versions. We have the official Cyrus version and the Herodotus version. Hmm. According to the official Cyrus version, Babylon, seeing that Nabondas was defeated, opened its gates to him, 
Cyrus entered through a triumphal parade mm-hmm. and took the empire for himself. Uh-huh. Instead, according to the Greek versions, uh-huh. there was a battle. Yes. So you can view this as in two ways. Either Cyrus wanted to make his conquest seem more legitimate by saying that, oh, Babylon opened its gates, there was no I need to fight, yes. it was fine. No, they wanted me there. No slaughtering, it was just... Yeah. Or it could be Herodotus thinking, ah, oh, wait, but then I need some drama to end the story. <laughs> I should probably just add a cool siege. So believe which version you like. I see. I'll tell you both. I mean, it could have happened. It was just a battle outside, but the city might still try yeah, to I mean, put up a fight, Yeah, I mean, the city still had right? walls, and if you look at the gates of Babylon, yeah. they're really cool, so they could definitely hold up a siege. The Herodotus version. Cyrus surrounded the city, and the problem is that he didn't really want to wait years for the city to starve, because yeah. that was you know, It's, it's very time-consuming, yes. So he concocted another river-based plan. Oh. Apparently, Babylon had the river... Euphrates crossing through the center of it and splitting it in two. Uh-huh. So Cyrus knows how to weaken the course of rivers. Right. We have learned this. We've learned this from in Herodotus' version. So he stationed two parts of his army at the points where the river enters and exits the city. And then he ordered another half of his army sort of use a deviation that had been used some years before to uh, do some work in the center of the river. Oh. And he deviates the whole Euphrates River around the city so that, well, now the channel is empty and his army can just flood in where there's no walls. Yes. And hey, presto, Babylon is yours. Right, because they were using the river as a wall, essentially, as a defense. Yeah, you don't expect people to cross through the river into the city because that's the easiest way to get shot at. Yeah. Uh, But yeah, so no matter how it may be, peacefully or not, on the 12th of October, 539 BC, Babylon opens its gates to Cyrus. Babylon the city? Babylon the city, yes. Okay. And the empire falls, consequently. And Cyrus himself enters the city in triumph and manages to take control of another of the four empires of the region, and now he has three. Because it was clearly what was going to happen. Yeah, it's going to happen. If you start with one and then goes immediately to two, which, to be fair, Cretus shot first. Yeah, Cretus shot first. It could have been fine, but... Uh, you know. Yeah, so now Egypt starts to sweat. <laughs> look at this direction. Egypt is like, okay, well, well, I mean, we're a bit far away. Yeah. Like, hopefully they'll stay there. They have a lot <laughs> yeah, of things, cool. right? But now we have Babylon to deal with. And mm. Cyrus notices that there's a lot of foreign people who have been deported to Babylon by the previous Babylonian government. Oh. What do you think he does with them? Foreign people as in non-Babylonians yes, who non- are in Babylon. members of the rest of the Babylonian Empire, essentially. Ah, I see. Who are in the city. Yes. Does he just send them back home? Like, why are they in the city? As a punishment? Well, because well, they've, defi- they've been conquered by the Babylonians and ah, I deported see. there as a punishment, essentially. Ah. Okay, so not from the Babylonian Empire, but like originally not the Babylonian yeah, Empire. I see, I see, I see. Does he make them allies? I... Does he just off them? I, uh... We'll see. Well, for this, I'm going to read to you from the Cyrus Cylinder. Ah, good. What is the Cyrus Cylinder? Well, in this long Mesopotamian tradition, mm-hmm. there's the idea of making these cylinders written in cuneiform. Huh. So the idea is that if you roll them over wet clay, right, you, you can, can just print out the whole yes, that's so cool. element. And many kings have these sort of cylinders and... Interestingly enough, they're all written in Akkadian. Because, yes. Because of Sargon. We're still, we're still back using in the that. Prequel. Yeah. 
So yeah, so we have the Cyrus Cylinder where Cyrus is explaining why is he here in Babylon? Why is he more worthy to rule than Nabonidus? Yes, this is the, the pro-Cyrus sources. Yes, this know. is the Cyrus version of the story. So I'm going to read it from you. If you want oh. to read the whole version, it's like a five-minute read. It's okay. pretty straightforward. I've cut off a few bits. I've cut off the bit at the beginning where the god Marduk, who is the patron of Babylon, hmm. goes around through the world looking for somebody to save his city. <laughs> I see. Wow, we're going like really up there. Yes. Like putting Cyrus in a pedestal. Oh. Like, real high up. We're going to give him another pedestal soon. Okay. So here's the bit just after Marduk has found his champion. No longer an Akkadian, I yes. assume. <laughs> but translated. <laughs> yes, of course. I don't know Akkadian enough to, to, to tell you about it. So it starts. Without any battle, Marduk made Cyrus enter his city of Babylon, sparing Babylon any calamity. He delivered into his hands Nabonidus, the king who did not worship Marduk. All the inhabitants of Babylon, as well as the entire country of Sumer and Akkad, princes and governors included, bowed to Cyrus and kissed his feet, jubilant that he had received the kingship, and with shining faces. Happily they greeted him as a master, through whose help they had come again to life from death, and had all been spared damage and disaster, and they worshipped his very name. And now we get Cyrus's words. Okay. I am Cyrus, king of the universe, great king, legitimate king, king of Babylon, king of Sumer and Akkad, king of the four corners of the earth, son of Cambyses, great king, king of Anshan, grandson of Cyrus, great king, king of Anshan, descendant of Tyspes, great king, king of Anshan, of a family which has always exercised kingship, whose rule Bel and Nebo love, whom they want as king to please their hearts. When I entered Babylon as a friend, and when I established the seat of the government in the palace of the ruler, under jubilation and rejoicing, Marduk, the great lord, induced the magnanimous inhabitants of Babylon to love me, and I was daily endeavoring to worship him. My numerous troops walked around Babylon in peace. I did not allow anybody to terrorize the county of Sumer or Akkad. I strove for peace in Babylon, and in all his sacred cities. As to the inhabitants of Babylon, they saw their hearts content, because I abolished the tax which was against their social standing. I brought relief to their dilapidated housing, putting thus an end to their main complaints. Marduk, the great lord, was well pleased with my deeds, and sent friendly blessings to myself, Cyrus, the king who worships him, Cambyses, my son, the offspring of my loins, as well as to all my troops. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> And we all praised his great godhood joyously, standing before him in peace. All the kings of the entire world, from the upper to the lower sea, those who are seated in throne rooms, those who live in other palaces, and the kings in the west who live in tents, brought their heavy tributes and kissed my feet in Babylon. As for the region as far as Ashur and Susa, Agade Ashuna, the towns of Zamban Maturnu, Der, as well as the region of the Gutians, I returned these sacred cities and others on the side of the Tigris, the sanctuaries of which they have been ruins for a long time, the images which used to live therein, and established them in permanent sanctuaries. I also gathered all the former inhabitants and returned them to their inhabitations. Furthermore, I resettled upon the command of Marduk, the great lord, all the gods of Sumer and Akkad, that Nabonidus had brought into Babylon, to anger of the lord of the gods, unharmed in their former chapels, and places which made them happy. May all the gods whom I have resettled in their sacred cities ask daily Bel and Nebo for a long life for me, and may they recommend it. Okay, so I, 
First, we have the framing of like, the gods want me here, yes. therefore I am legitimate. Mm -hmm. When you call yourself king of the universe... Yeah, I, I mean, that's the traditional version that everybody ruling Babylon uses, just, but still. Just, no. It's neat. And also, just this scary, like, icky propaganda thing, which apparently humans have been doing forever, mm. of like, and everyone was happy when I arrived, and everyone loves me, and this is a good thing, and just please don't complain, because like, I'm telling you, everyone's happy to have me here, so you should be as well. Even the gods are, are pleased. Yes. Uh, I mean, but to be fair, we also have testimony from one of the subject peoples from this Order of Cyrus. Because basically what Cyrus is doing here, to paraphrase, is that he's basically telling all the people who were deported here by the Babylonians, yes. he's saying, go, go home. Yes. It's fine. You can I, actually take all your gods, yes. bring them back there, because apparently Nabonidus had taken all the statues of these mm. gods, which yeah. were representing the gods. I mean, that was obviously good. They're like, oh yes, you can bring this back to your homeland and you can go back. And Good. It's the whole, like, and I was welcome with open arms because everybody wanted me here. Like, yeah. if you need to write it down. I mean, you know, you also kind of want to ensure that everybody knows that you're legitimate, even because you're the most illegitimate ruler that's been yes. there recently. He is only legitimately king of Persia, everything yes. else he has taken. Yes. So he wants to make sure that everybody is happy with this. Uh, I don't like this. I mean, yeah. but it is what it is supposed to be. Marketing, yeah, essentially. This is the piece that is meant to make him look good. This yeah. is Cyrus looking excellent. Yeah, Hello. Exactly. And we also have a decree oh. from one of the subject peoples so that they're seeing what Cyrus is saying. Because, as you may or may not know, in Babylon there were many, many Jews. Mm hmm. And unlike pretty much any other person in history, yes. Cyrus saw a whole bunch of Jews in the city and was like, oh, okay, sure, go back, it's okay. Here, have a big bag of money to rebuild your temple in Jerusalem. <laughs> that is, I'm great. I'm sure that in Jews' sources, they were very happy to like, yes, and love Cyrus. We're going to read from that. I, yes. Because this temple that is going to be built thanks to Cyrus's funds uh -huh. is the one that still remains now in Jerusalem. <gasps> oh. It's the one. It's the one where the Wailing Wall is part of. Okay. Oh, okay. So Quite interesting. it was eventually destroyed by the Romans. But Cyrus built it up because in Romans. the first place. I also was going to ask. He said Cyrus, uh, grandson of Cyrus. Yes, that is. Because apparently they alternate. Because uh -huh. his grandfather is Cyrus, his father is Cambyses, and Cyrus's son is Cambyses. So okay. apparently it's a family name. Okay, okay. Because you also said that who was it? The soldier, the mercenary, uh, Seraphon. Xenophon. Xenophon, the the historian. Yes. Was also serving a Cyrus. That is yes. not this Cyrus, but it's like two hundred years yes. later. It's a little bit down the line because, well, of course, Cyrus is a good name to give yeah. to your child if yeah. you know you're descended from this royal family. But yeah, so to quote from the Book of Ezra, quoting the decree of the return from the Jews, it says, "Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia." All the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given to me, and he has also charged me to build him a house in Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever, therefore, among you belongs to this part of his people, let him go, and may his God be with him. Let everyone who has survived in whatever place he may have dwelt be assisted by the people of that place with silver, gold, and goods, together with free will offerings for the house of God in Jerusalem. Yeah. So that's nice. Amazing. And it tells us a few interesting things. It tells us that Cyrus is 
appealing to everyone's local god. Yes, because right now he's talking about like the Lord, right? Yeah, like because God in the Cyrus Cylinder, he's talking. Marduk told me yes. to do this. Marduk wishes me here, and now he's saying Yahweh told me to do yes. this, and he wants me to do this. this and he's obviously accepting of all gods of all religions, because he also says in the Cylinder. Those of you who have been deported to Babylon, yeah. like take Feel your free idols, to go. bring take your them own back. Gods. It's like, okay. Your gods are fine, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's, again, it's contentious which religion Cyrus himself is part of. It, yes, but that is less important. More important is the fact that he is open to yeah, all religions. He's not willing to, or he's not seeking to impose his own. Yeah, over the point the rest. is saying, as yeah. long as you wish me well, worship whoever you want. Yes. I don't mind. I'm happy to do this. That's very refreshing. I quite enjoy that. And this is why Cyrus is the only non-Jewish messiah oh, in history. Because messiah is just basically a savior of the Jewish people. Yes. And well, he's the only non-Jewish person to be called a messiah. In which, the is Bible, which is sad. a pretty cool title. Uh, like, yes, but also sad that that is the fact. I mean, yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, unfortunately. The Jewish people have been through a lot. Yeah, they haven't been treated very well, unfortunately. But this is the one case where they're happy and everything is fine. Yeah. So enjoy and they build well an last. awesome temple. Yeah, it's cool. Right, also about the Cyrus Cylinder, you will hear it sometimes called the first declaration of human rights in history. Huh? By people who are wrong. Yeah, I was going to say that's not, it wasn't <laughs> laws or, you know. No, again, I will tell you why. I have a whole digression about this. So when was it first called the Declaration of Human Rights? By the last Shah of Iran, who had an issue with human rights. Ah, there, I see. Yes, apparently the last Shah of Iran was, well, the last Shah for a reason. Mm-hmm. And uh, violating many human rights. And when they had the 2,500 years for Cyrus's conquest mm. of Babylon in the 1970s, right. you had this whole big parade with Cyrus Cylinder saying, ah, look, all the rulers of Persia are definitely always respecting human rights and always really good and nice. Please like me. Please don't look at the people I can disappearing. Say, yeah, I can say I respect human rights. I don't have to do it. I just, I can say it. And as long as you believe it, yeah, it's, it's fine. fine. But, you know, why isn't this a declaration of human rights? Well... First of all, it's just an announcement. It's just saying, exactly. now that I'm getting yeah. into Babylon, this is what I'm doing. It is a marketing, not a slogan, but just a campaign. Yeah, it's just it's a, hey, this is a thing. Yeah, it's just saying, hey, this is what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. The end. Well, a Declaration of Human Rights is more like something that was declared later on. It's something that you have inherently as a human being. Yeah, and it has to list okay, this has an impact in the law, and this is how people are going to be treated, and this is why. So to quote a few examples from the, for example, the U.S. Declaration of Independence, which is one of the earliest cases where it was formalized, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal and they're endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Yes, we know this because of Hamilton musical. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) Then the Declaration of Independence goes on to say, oh wait, but slavery is fine. Oh wait, but not women. Oh wait, but not poor people. Yes. But because the spirit, you know, the spirit is there. <laughs> yeah, and for example, another one is the current UN Declaration of Human Rights, uh-huh. which is more modern, existing now, declared after the World War II. Yes, it says all human beings are born free and equal in dignity and rights. They are endowed with reason and conscience and should act towards one another in a spirit of brotherhood. This is the first article, is- and then it goes on to list a series of human rights that people have. I like that. I mean, it's a good point to start. Yeah, it's important to qualify that people are people and they have rights because they are people. Yes, That's it. Rights aren't something that is granted to you. It's something you have. Worst thing, somebody can remove them. Yeah. So there we go. 
But it's a big improvement compared to Assyrian inscription, <laughs> so which I will read from. Oh yes, let's here's go. an inscription from Ashurnasirpal II about a city he's taken after a rebellion. By the way, this next bit about the Assyrian scripture a bit intense and graphic and violence because the Assyrians are very very intense people. So if you're not into a lot of description of torture and violence, maybe skip ahead about a minute or thirty seconds. Hmm. He says. I built a pillar over against the city gate, and I flayed all the chiefs who had revolted, and I covered the pillar with their skins. Uh -huh. Some I impaled upon the pillar on stakes, and others I bound to stakes round the pillar. I cut the limbs off the officers who had rebelled. Many captives I burnt with fire, and many I took as living captives. From some I cut off the noses, the ears, and their fingers. Of many I put out their eyes. I made one pillar of the living and another of the heads, and I bound the heads to tree trunks around the city. Their young men and maidens I consumed with fire. The rest of their warriors I consumed with thirst in the desert of the Euphrates. I, I, and this is the public relations version. This isn't like an expose saying, oh, look at the horrible thing the king did. This is the king saying, no, look at what I did. And there are murals nearby showing this. I do not understand <laughs> this culture at all. Like, the violence. <laughs> do you think it was an actual thing? I mean, it is discussed in certain Assyrian because kings. Because it, it, it gets to a point where so much, I can't believe yeah, people I mean, would... Certain things are, for example, in the capital of Dur-Sharukin that Sargon II built, mm -hmm. who was, again, another Assyrian king. Some historians think that he might have just been showing these things in a performative way. Yes. Because it's just what a king looks like. A king yeah. has to show this brutality that he's willing to do these things. But, I mean, certainly, if this became the norm at some point, it mm. had to start somewhere. That is terrifying. And this is how you know why people were, were yeah. happy when Assyria fell. Because yes. if this is what happens when you rebel, Nobody you want to make sure you succeed. Yeah. Oh, terrifying. Again, ruling through fear is usually doesn't end well because people eventually get fed up because, you know, you're ruling through fear. So if at some point they manage to rebel, then... The moment you show weakness, people yes. are like, okay, let's take this guy down. Yes. So yeah, also, so while it's not a declaration of human rights, it's still better than before. So just keep in mind the nuance. Uh, yes, not a declaration of human rights. <laughs> no, definitely. Okay, so now that we have Babylon, Babylon is ours. And now it's just 18 years after the first rebellion against Astyages. Hmm. Cyrus has an empire that spreads from the Indus River to the Aegean Sea, from Arabia all the way to the Aral Sea. And that's all his in 18 years done oh. this, starting from teeny tiny Persia. That Very was so insignificant that it wasn't a threat to Astyages Intense. Wow. Unfortunately, also, just now after the conquering of Babylon in 538 BC, Cyrus's wife Kassandane died of natural causes. Oh. And it seems that Cyrus actually cared. Yes. We don't have many sources, but it seems that he cared because he ordered six days of mourning across the whole of the empire. Whoa. And we don't have much more, but it's nice at least that in a day of organized marriages that yeah. they would have had enough of a relationship that he didn't just say, oh, well, next. Yes. It was, he, or like, he yeah, we'll do the, the, the official like morning, whatever. Yeah, exactly. And no, like he actually, yeah. So sad. That's quite neat. To look a bit about Cyrus's rule overall, we can see that, as I mentioned before, religiously, it's unclear who he worshipped. Because mm -hmm. we know that he probably worshipped Ahura Mazda. Okay. Which is the local Iranian deity. But the thing is that Ahura Mazda is also sort of that most important deity in Zoroastrianism, uh -huh. which is 
somewhat a reform of the previous religion, sort of like how Buddhism stems from Hinduism. Yes. That they're related, but not the same thing. Mm -hmm. So it's unclear, you know, at which point in the timeline Cyrus yeah. is. Like, how? what would you call it? Yeah, it I mean, since you have the same name for the yeah. deity, it's unclear, are you worshipping him in this version or another version? Yes. Like, if you say you worship God, you know, are you are Jewish, you Christian, Muslim? Muslim, yes. What are you? <laughs> you don't know unless you have more context. But yeah, but the important thing is that Cyrus is tolerant to all of the different faiths in his empire, and he has a very sort of hands-off method of rulership. Okay. Because he's sort of following the old Median model, uh -huh. where he is a king of kings. So mm -hmm. what he's trying to do is he's trying to conquer the region with as little disruption as possible. Yeah, because then he can delegate. And so essentially the region is under new management, but for the people living there, it wouldn't be that much of a change. Yeah, exactly. So Because they Cyrus, still have like their yeah. government, probably the same people would stay in like yeah, the lower... Yeah, what Cyrus is trying to do is yeah. essentially just replace himself at the place as king and then everything yes. else can stay as it is. And yeah. it's fine. And now they pay taxes to him or like they listen to his orders, but... Yeah, yeah, it's just that, you know, he is just the new boss, everything else stays as it is. Which, he doesn't have to replace every manager of every department. Yeah, which is would be an issue. So now, there isn't much change in the Empire, and it sort of runs reasonably well, because everybody's already used to their own structures, and if they worked before, makes sense that they'd keep working later. If it ain't broke. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So overall, we see that his rule was considered by most of posterity to have been especially prosperous and wise. Okay. Like there are many later kings who read about Cyrus's life and the Cyropedia mm. in its part that we'll get the back to. In a bit. Yeah, the Cyropedia? Yeah, Xenophon's book about Oh, right, right, Cyrus. right. Yes, yes. So people read Cyrus and represent him as, okay, this is what a good ruler is. Mm -hmm. Don't massacre people for no reason. Just do yeah. what you have to and it works out. The like model to follow. Yes. Also, an interesting thing about Cyrus is that he is the first person to build a certain garden in his oh. new capital of Pasargade. Because the Empire will have four capitals, Ekbatana, Persepolis, Pasargade, and Susa. Okay. Which I are now part of it. Write those down later. We'll see. And this type of garden is called a uh, Paridaisa, which in Greek is going to be translated as Paradeisos. Okay. Which then turns into the modern paradise. I see. Because they're nice gardens. I mean, in the local language, it just means sort of like a walled garden in yeah. that way. But essentially... It adds up to the whole Babylonian tradition of beautiful gardens that yes. sort of have menageries. And the neat part of these gardens is that they are a microcosm for the whole empire. Mm -hmm. Because within this garden, you have plants and animals from across the lands oh, you own. Oh, that's beautiful. So by walking through this garden, you can basically walk through the empire itself. That is so like. amazing that they actually put effort into making a botanical garden, essentially, of like, let us show how all the different things in all of the land that covers our empire. Like, yeah, so it's really cool because it shows awesome. how far your reach is and then it's just a nice place to be because yeah. it's a very pleasant garden. Amazing. And yeah, about Cyrus's uh, good rule, we have some more from Xenophon. Mm. Ah, yes, they're very reliable. Yes, fan, which again, it's mostly vibes here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is mostly the feeling of what people think Cyrus is about. So the first one is Croesus and Cyrus having a conversation. Uh -huh. So one day Croesus went to Cyrus and said, oh, Cyrus, you're going to bankrupt yourself if you keep giving out so many gifts to all your courtiers. You know, you're a king. You <laughs> you're should... being too generous. Come on, man. Yes, you're, being, you're a king. Stop you're... being such a good person. <laughs> yeah, you're too wonderful. <laughs> so you're a king. You should be getting taxes from people. Otherwise, you know, you're not going to be able to run the government for long. So Cyrus then asked Croesus, okay, 
That's your opinion, fair enough. How much money do you think I could have uh, gained if I just gathered taxes like a normal king? And Croesus says, okay, well, writes down a number on his mm. uh, piece of paper and hands it to Cyrus. Because, and Cyrus you know, says, we, have, we have paper and... Yeah, sure. Yes. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and Cyrus looks at this number and says, okay, I'll come back to you in a few days. And Cyrus then sends letters to all of his uh, subjects, all of the people who owe him uh, mm-hmm. uh, tribute. And he says, listen, I need money for an upcoming project. Please send me a note on how much you could spare. Also, not like give me this, but more like could you spare? Yeah, how much much can you spare? Model of an you need to give me something, but also yeah, saying hey, listen, we have this subject ruler relationship. How much are you able to give me without bankrupting yourself? And so all these people send their notes back to Cyrus, and then Cyrus brings Croesus into the room, Mm. and after doing the accounting, they find out that what the people are willing to give him. Mm-hmm. willingly because they admire him and like him mm-hmm. is much more than what he could have gotten otherwise just by taxing them to the bone interesting and so this shows that cyrus by being good and generous he it's not just that he's being nice but it's also a strategy that will right. help him rule well and he uh, will not go bankrupt because in the case that he needed money he would get it yeah he can just get somehow. it when he wants and also this sort of reflects a little bit how this uh, government structure was because mm-hmm. It wasn't so much like a regular taxation system mm-hmm. like we would think of it, like every year you pay X. It was mostly whenever the king needs something, he'll just ask you, yes. okay, and take stuff. So this is also reflected in Xenophon. Mm-hmm. And another bit of Xenophon, which is actually kind of corroborated by actual sources and uh-huh. by later kings, is that Cyrus established satrapies across his empire. So this is the first that we hear of satrapies which are basically provinces in a way. Okay, I was going to say this is the first time I hear about exactly. satrapies. And uh, he established a system where he would send somebody to review the performance of the satrap uh-huh. every year that they report back to him to make sure that they weren't abusing their power. Oh, sure that. so that, that, that's a nice cool. form of government. Keeping in check like the yeah. people who have power so they don't overdo it. Yeah, which it's... is important. And Cyrus also established a Persian postal system with oh. stations along the road at one day's ride from each other, so that awesome. every time you ride, you can either just pick up a new horse and keep going, or you can just pick up a new messenger and hand this constant relay, so the message just travels as fast as possible. You don't have to wait for the person to go fall asleep and restart mm. and keep going. It's Amazing. just a constant message which can go as fast as possible. And we'll see more detail about this with later kings, where it's going to be elaborated on and uh, looked into, but the cool thing is that now you can send messages across this massive empire and you'll always know what's going on. Yeah, incredible. Communications technology is like slowly yeah. it's not, evolving. It's not back with Sargon where just somebody walking was as fast as you could go. Yeah. Now you actually have hard relay that can get mm. you back and forth. But now we've gotten to the year 530 BC and Cyrus has one more direction he wants to go into. Well, two actually. Because Egypt is still left. Mm-hmm. But Cyrus is a bit worried about the nomads on his northern border. They right. seem to have been acting up and he wants to make sure that his back is safe for when he attacks We Egypt. never clear that up, yeah. And Egypt is not geographically there anyway. So. Uh, yeah, I mean, now we're bordering Egypt, but it's a very small border yeah. and they're not going to attack him first. Exactly. <laughs> they're not going to try that. So maybe cover all of the north region. Yeah, that, you, know, you, know. you don't want a massive nomad invasion to take your homeland mm-hmm. when you're elsewhere on a maybe long campaign. So Makes sense. He wants him to take care of that. So he launches a large expedition in Central Asia against a people called the Masagetai. Okay. So we'll look at Herodotus' version first, then Tejas next. Uh-huh. So according to Herodotus' version, Cyrus sets the sight on the Masagetai, 
who are ruled by a woman who is called Tomiris, uh -huh. who is the queen of the Massagetae. Interesting. And Cyrus then, wanting to consolidate this land, he asks for Tomiris' hand in marriage. Says, okay, that would no, be the we easiest. can join our empires, yeah. it'll be fine. My wife is dead now. Yes, <laughs> you know, I have an opening, it's okay. <laughs> Sorry. But unfortunately for Cyrus, Tomiris says, no, I know what you're planning. Not I don't interested. want my empire to become part of yours. Yes. Not interested. Cyrus says, okay, fine. I guess I'll get it the hard way. Mm, it was not a question. It was a, do you want to do this the hard way or the easy way? Yeah, basically. Mm. So we start setting up bridges to cross the Oxus River, which separates his empire from mm -hmm. this land of the steppe. And while he is setting up in secret to build a series of bridges to cross the river, he gets a letter from Tamiris who says, listen, don't bother being secret. I know you're coming. Yeah. Let's just settle this. We can either do this that you come into my land and we fight there, or I come into your land and we fight there. Mm -hmm. Let me know what you, what you want. How do I you build a secret bridge? <laughs> I feel like that's, that's a pretty big issue, project. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you cover it with tarps and just like, yeah. nothing to see here. Please continue. Yeah. <laughs> so Cyrus consults his advisors, and most of them say, let Tamiris come to you, fight on your own home turf, and it'll yeah. be easy to go. But one of his advisors disagrees. This advisor is Croesus. Ah, yes. Which we have proven that his decisions were marvelous. <laughs> yes. Before. Great decision, Croesus. Says, Cyrus, you should be the one to cross. <laughs> because, listen, if you lose on Persian soil, then you risk your whole kingdom. Tamiris can just take it all. Fair. But if you lose on their soil, well, you can just retreat past the river, and mm. that's still a good border to protect yeah. yourself. That is a fair, yeah. I see where he's going. Yeah, so he's saying, listen, you cross, it'll be least cost for your invasion. Less of a risk. Yeah, less of a risk. But Croesus also suggests that they lay a trap for the Masagete, and I'm going to describe it. So Cyrus, at this point, crosses the River Oxus into this campaign mm -hmm. and hands his heir Cambyses, who is now in his 20s, mm. to Croesus and sends both back to Persia in case something goes wrong. Mm. And he also appoints Cambyses as his heir to the throne. Yeah, as so his now that, it, that is settled, that yes. is a good move yeah. from a king. And also, interestingly enough, this is a tradition that's going to be throughout the accumulated kings that oh. before leaving or a perilous campaign, hmm. you always appoint an heir, just in case something goes wrong. Which, to be fair, that's what everyone should do. Yeah. Otherwise... So you don't want an accident to destroy all your empire. Yeah, otherwise you end up like Alexander. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we'll talk about that whole mess in a while. So Cyrus crosses the Oxus River, and he makes a camp. Hmm. And then he goes off elsewhere, leaving the camp poorly defended. Oh. The Massagetae see this and say, oh, great, mm. let's attack this camp. Don't, don't think it twice. Yes. Yeah, Maybe too good for it to be true. Nah, it's nah, fine. Be fine. They kill the few defenders oh. and they find that over there, there is there's like so much wine, like a ridiculous <laughs> oh. amount of wine. <laughs> and according to Herodotus, which is weird, uh. apparently these people had never tasted wine before and they didn't yeah. recognize the taste of alcohol, which is one of the first things we've invented. Yeah, no, of course, it, living in this step, being nomads, of course they didn't have any form of alcohol. Yes. You would not invent that nah, at all. They don't have fermented mare's milk. That's not a thing that nomads have had forever. Nah. <laughs> it's fine. But anyway, the Massagetae took the encampment, and now that they're there, they drink and feast and mm. eat as much as possible, and they all fall asleep, passed out, drunk. What, the entire Masajete army? Uh, a large part of it, yes. Because how many did they need to attack a camp that was, like, relatively small? I, know, I mean, it's not a huge army, but it has Tamiris' son in it, which uh, is the important part. I see. 
At which point, when they're all still drunk or hungover, the Persians jump upon them and well, kill a large amount of them and they capture Tamiris' son. Mm-hmm. Uh, hasn't this been done already in like other... I mean, in the future of history, but like I'm pretty sure I've heard about this I strategy mean, it, before. It's a very popular story. strategy. Yeah. Or it's a very popular story. Yeah, it works. Not sure it ever actually worked, but because, yeah. you know, it paints the enemy as like, oh, look at these fools. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, I mean, in, uh, I in, in Italy, in my region, we have a wine called Barbera, which apparently the defenders of the city left the barbarians to drink, yes. and then they got drunk and got chased away. So. I feel like it's a good victor story in the sense of like, yes, you want to make your enemies look bad and silly. So Yeah, it just sounds nice. You're like, oh yeah, huh, they got drunk and we slaughtered them. So at this point, Tamiris sends Cyrus a message telling him to not rejoice for this victory that he gained with, with trickery, because mm. it wasn't yeah. a fair fight, doesn't really count. And she asks for Cyrus to return her son to her uh-huh. and leave immediately or she would sate his bloodthirst once and for all. Yeah, so like, give me back my son and leave or else. Yes. So Cyrus did not retreat, but he just freed the son. He said, okay, fine. You that's can have fair him enough. back. You can have him back. But the son was so ashamed of uh, having been captured, of having been tricked, that he ended up killing himself before no. getting back to Tamiris. So Tamiris no. gets really mad at this. Yes. And Understandably. So she attacks the Persian army in a terrible battle that Herodotus tells us was the most bloody battle in history. Because we can believe Herodotus. Because <laughs> yes. apparently every battle was the most bloody in history. Exactly. Or the biggest numbers, or, you know. Yeah, it's a lot. But during this battle, something happens. Oh. Cyrus is killed. Oh, no. Yes. Oh. And, and Tamiris. <laughs> goes across the field of battle and finds the body of Cyrus and chops off his head Uh. and dunks the severed head of Cyrus the Great into a wineskin filled with blood, saying, You killed me even if I live by taking my son with trickery, but now I've defeated you. Now I will sate your bloodthirst just as I've promised. Is so badass. I yes. love her. <laughs> she is very cool. <laughs> like, but I know we were going for Cyrus and that's the whole episode, and he's very, very cool, but like. <sighs> yes. Nomadic queen of the steppes. Yeah. She's very cool. And yes, this is a Herodotus version of how Cyrus the Great dies. The Tejas version is actually less outlandish, weirdly. Because oh. <laughs> apparently, according to Tejas, Cyrus instead invaded a part of India uh-huh. where the Derbikas lived. Okay. And they used elephants to ambush the Persian cavalry, mm. causing Cyrus to fall off his horse, and then he was speared by one yeah. of the enemy soldiers. So it wasn't in the north at all, like it was in a completely different geographical region, yeah. different battle. Yeah, it was a different, different battle, but sort of less mythological, I guess. It's yeah. more lame. Mm. In a way. And yeah, it's unclear exactly what happened to Cyrus, because Xenophon in his beautiful Cyropedia version says, oh, Cyrus died peacefully many years later. At oh. home, surrounded by his family, well, I, <laughs> and, it, and everything was fine. Really? Yes, but, huh. eh, you know, it Probably seems... Probably not. To be fair, he was reasonably old at this mm. point. He was in his 50s, but okay. you'd expect him to still live more if yeah. he had a natural life. So yeah. it makes sense that he probably was killed somewhere, mm-hmm. fighting set people. If he didn't live past his 50s, then probably was in battle. Yeah, just, it makes sense. You know, and also, we have seen time and time again the fighting step people is difficult and complicated, and maybe yes. Cyrus got cocky because he was used to winning but, against the Lydians, winning yeah. against the Babylonians. He said, yeah, it's, it'll be fine, but he did really well. different strategies. Yeah. So now Cyrus's body was then recovered, and he was buried in Pasargade in a tomb that still exists today, and you can oh. still visit. 
mm-hmm. which was fully intact until the time of Alexander the Great, but uh, then later on its riches were looted while Alexander was away. Did they and have the head as well, or was the head missing? <laughs> not described. I, I assume they got it back with a ransom, I hope, for them, but yeah. So that is the whole story of Cyrus the Great. That was, it was very a, cool. Much more what I expected from these episodes. <laughs> yes, this is the start of all the classics. There's a reason why he's Cyrus the Great. Even though, still, like we said at the beginning, probably not super reliable on everything. Yeah, Cyrus especially, we don't really have many contemporary sources mm. of the issue. Like with, we're, we're going to get later on with people who are contemporary to Herodotus, mm-hmm. or at least that people who knew them were still alive, mm-hmm. so can trust it more. But Cyrus... Again, very mythologized and being the founder of the Achaemenid yes. dynasty, which we'll discuss in like three episodes okay. if that's true or not. But being the founder of the Achaemenid Empire, mm-hmm. you know, he's strongly mythologized by people who draw legitimacy from him. Obviously, you know, they like want to, same to show themselves as being yes. cool. Pretty much every kingdom wants their first one to be oh, a great warrior mm-hmm. or a great scholar or anything. Mm-hmm. That's important to be respected. So yeah, so now we get to rate him and see how Cyrus the Great is going to do. I need time to process everything that's <laughs> yes. happened. I stopped writing my notes like halfway through because <laughs> there are too many things, but I can always listen to the episode yeah. back. Okay, so first category is final moments. How cool was his death? So we have three versions yeah. in, uh, let's say, decreasing order of likelihood. I mean, not really. Let's just say three versions. Yes. So three versions. First one is he fights the Masajetai, Tamiris dunks his head into a vat of blood. Mm. He is killed in battle. I mean, not so sure that happened. That is a really cool story, but obviously any stories that actually have dialogue in them, probably not. Like artistic license. (laughs) Sure. But I do believe that, oh, he went to fight the Masajetai and died there. Yeah. You know, in battle. A a worthy death for a war yeah, king. warrior king next one is Tejas, where elephants knock him off his horse and then he is stabbed by a soldier uh, sure i mean maybe if we had built up for that battle more where we had more yeah. like idea of what it was about why he was in india yeah it doesn't have much of a story oh well and last one is xenophon everything is fine probably battle, not battle probably not <laughs> yeah but overall, it's probably one of the more interesting deaths that we've yes. had so far. So what are your, what are you going to? What is your Well, I love the, this story because I love the Queen of the Masajetai. Yes, Tamiris is badass. So I would give that, is it out of 10? Out of 10, yes. Then it's halved. Probably, I mean, taking into account the probable illegitimacy of it, or like, mm-hmm. you know, not being true, I'd say a 7. Just because it really made me go like, oh, seven. that is really cool. Yeah, I think um, I, I have to agree with a seven. Yeah, because again, it's very cool. It but might not, not be true. Very true, which yes. is kind of the problem. But overall, yeah, still I think, a good story. Yeah, seven, if it were true, like I would give it a ten. That is, yeah, just, that would be amazing. <laughs> but unfortunately, eh, a seven. Really. I think it's fine, and that also accounts for the other deaths. I don't think he died peacefully in bed, surrounded yeah, by family. That sounds unlikely given his age. But. If we reduce it to, he died in battle. Yeah, I think that's Died in battle, fitting. fair enough. And it's yes. cool that we get a story out of it. So with a seven and a seven, we divide it by two. We get a seven out of 10 for final moments, which is the highest score so far. Yeah. Because, yeah, thrown with detail. Yeah, <laughs> the only one that actually told us something. Yeah, fair enough. Next category is battle hardness. How good was he in battle? How good was he in war? Apparently amazing. Although... 
his own sources keep saying that he didn't have to fight much, but the land was given to him because people yeah, exactly. liked him. So not many massacres or sieges or that stuff. But he did battle the kings themselves, right? That Which was yeah, I mean, what gave him the rest of the parts of the empire and yeah, he expanded sort of. the empire. So I would say, you know, a good warrior king. Yeah, because just to sum up, he basically, he managed to defeat Astyages in battle. Yes. I mean, not exactly in battle, but we can assume yeah. there were some pre-fights, something that convinced Harpagus to switch sides. Exactly. That was pretty cool. Yeah. Then he conquered Lydia. Mm-hmm. Then he conquered the rest of Iran yes. and parts of the steppe up to the RLC. Yes. Then he conquered Babylon. Yes. Then he made one last campaign where wherever he, yes wherever he went. And the fact is that judging from the fact that he probably died in battle, it's reasonable to assume that he was personally fighting. Yes. He wasn't just sitting in his chair in his palace and saying, yes, yes, go do this. That's, that's what I was thinking. He probably was very involved in the battles themselves. And that's, that's always extra points. Mm -hmm. If you actually care enough to fight. Yeah. Unfortunately, as a downside, we don't really have details on his battles. We don't know. Yes. Oh, I guess he did this really clever thing. Yeah. It's more we like don't know if the strategy the was incredible. Yes. Or, you know. I mean, you have the men on the end of poles with Tejas, which would have been wonderful. <laughs> oh my god, I forgot. That's true. Yeah. That was a beautiful strategy. <laughs> Only for that, he's getting one extra point. Good. Um, it's so, out of ten as well. Yes, out of ten as well. I'd say. I forgot what we gave other people. You gave Syaxaris a nine. Why? I gave him an eight. Syaxaris created the media. Oh, uh, yes. You know? <laughs> oh, it Come was on, a cool, cool, cool battle. Yeah, he also invented strategies the, and yes, everything. Yes. Oh, and the Battle of the Eclipse. Yes, yeah. the Battle of the Eclipse. I, okay, I will give Cyrus a seven or an eight. Seven or an eight, okay. Because he did well, but again, we do not know if he had a partic particularly good strategy or, like, military yeah, prowess. Yeah, I feel like... Uh, I think I'm going to match my Saixari's grade and give him an 8. Because, again, I feel like what Saixari's lacks for in extra conquests, he makes yes. up for in detail. Yes, and here's the other way around. And here it's sort of like, yes, you're conquering everything, but it's... Yeah, we don't know only we knew more... Yes. That would be that would really be more, cool, but... more Ehrenshine than... Um, yeah, sure, that, that's than battle more... battle hardness. Than, so what is your... I think I'll go for a seven. Seven, he okay, did not as like, impressed. You know, he won. I wish we had more detail on his way of battling. Okay. It's not because he wasn't good, it's more because like we don't no, really know The sources know much. aren't good. Yes. Fair enough. So Cyrus the Great gets a 15 out of 20 for battle hardness. Yes. Two points behind Saixaris. The so Battle of the Eclipse that. was so good. It was though. really good, yes. It's just very good. And he also invented strategy. Yeah. Which that definitely grants you more points, mm -hmm. you know. The next category is scheminess. So mm. how good was he at schemes, plot, manipulations? Not much of that. He didn't do too much. Especially because the kind of, like, obviously we don't know how he actually was, but mm. the kind of image that these sources are trying to push forward is a very honest merciful, thoughtful, kind yeah, he's just king. squeaky clean there, trying to be very good and ensuring so, that everything is nice. Going with that, what, not, what did he actually do for that is schemey? The uh, last battle against the... Uh, yes, he did the last battle against the Masajetai yes. with the trick of the wine. Then if we have to believe. Yeah, then at, he has to have done something to convince Harpagus to switch sides yes. at the beginning. That was, so that was cool. That deserves some points. And then the rest is relatively straightforward fighting. Yeah. It's not too much for scheminess. What are you what are you thinking? Not really. I'm somewhere between like a one and a two. Probably a two. 
Well, yeah, two is fair. Yeah. Two is fair. Yeah, well, yeah, one, I'd say one and a half for yes. me for the Harpagus and a mm. half for the last battle. So two and two gives us a four out of 20 for Scheminess, which makes him the second to last. Next category is Shock Factor. I just remembered he maybe redirected the Euphrates to invade Babylon, and that does deserve like is extra. Is that schemey? No, no, no. Oh, you mean extra for battle, yes. Okay. Maybe one more point in battle hardness okay. from, from me. <laughs> battle hardness, we have an 8 and an 8, which makes 16 out yes. of 20 for Cyrus. So, so there we go. I had forgotten that. Again, technically, according to him, it didn't happen. Babylon yeah. just like opened the gates. But it's a cool strategy. I really like it. Yeah, fair enough. Very, very intelligent thinking there. Makes sense. And okay, scheminess, 4 out of 20. Mm -hmm. And then next we have shock factor. How scandalous is he? How ooh. What's going on with Cyrus? I mean, he's the child of prophecy. Yes. So, like, I mean, in that sense, he's very, like, whoa, mythologized. Like, look at this person. He has an, a golden halo around yeah, him. Yeah, exactly. But I don't... This is not what we're referring to Yeah, we're not referring factor. to good shocking. It's not like, oh, wow, he didn't kill many people. That's yeah. great. No, it's more like, oh, he did what to who? Yeah, exactly. So yeah. this is all very good. Mm. What you could say in favor of his shock factor is he rebelled against... Asyges, who was his lord. Yeah. He maybe tried to burn Croesus alive, which is, eh. Uh, he, uh, again, he maybe sort of he's the, fought like, dirty against the Masagetai at first. He's too good. He's like the Captain America kind of, you know, yeah. like, oh, it's no faults. Yeah, he is just a, he's a very good golden boy, so. Which is probably, you know, not true at all. Yeah, I mean, yeah. As with many he's a conqueror. He probably did something messed up, but. Yeah. What are you thinking? I'm very low, Nothing. honestly. Nothing at all? I don't, I Not can't even think one? Of, I can't think of anything that was shocking regarding what oh, he did. I might just give him a token one for everything, mainly for the rebelling against his lord. No, no I'm no? going for a zero. Okay, fair enough. So with a one and a zero, that is a one out of 20 for shock factor. Yes. Which is just only higher than Frorities, who got zero. That's nothing. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean... Some kings just don't go in that direction, yeah. you know? Next category is Eren Shine. Well. So how good was he for the Empire? Ten. <laughs> I would agree. <laughs> he made the Empire. He expanded it. He actually had a really good way of ruling. Like, he didn't just make it and immediately fell. You yeah, know? exactly. Like, to list all of his achievements, he starts from tiny little Persia, mm -hmm. manages to take over the management of the Median Empire, now his empire is much larger. Then he takes over two of the four, well, basically he's taken over three of the four major yes. powers in the region. This Persian empire that he's created, mm -hmm. this Achaemenid empire, is unmatched in the region. Yes, because he There's, added the Lydian empire and the Babylonian. Yes, now only Egypt is left and it's much smaller than him. Once he's done that, he's also introduced money to the empire. Mm -hmm. He's introduced the postal system to the empire. Yes. He's introduced satrapies with oversight for good government. Mm -hmm. He has conquered new regions, but ensured that they maintain their local government somehow. Yes, so it doesn't cause much disturbance. And also he is accepting of other religions and doesn't particularly persecute exactly. people. For not any only reason. does he not persecute them, he ensures that they have the means yes. to go back home and worship properly. He is the Messiah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> no big. <laughs> and yeah, the empire is just colossal at this point. It is now the largest empire the world has ever seen. And... He has 
managed to leave a reasonably good succession behind him. Yeah, and he has an heir appointed. He has an appointed heir, so it's fine. So overall, he's done a really, really good job. His only fault, if you can call it that, is dying in battle. But even then, it's not like a terribly destabilizing death. No, but it's not like he dies and then it explodes in civil war. Yeah, no. He dies and, well, Cambyses is next. Exactly. It's a shame, but And oh the well. governments will keep running themselves anyway, like in the smaller regions, so that won't be a problem as his yeah, son exactly. takes power. And yeah. So yeah, good. I'd uh I'm going for a ten for Ever yes. Shine because I if think, we don't give it to him. I think many people <laughs> would yell at us if we didn't give him <laughs> ten out of ten for Aaron Shine. So Cyrus the Great has twenty out of twenty for Aaron Shine. Yes. Nice. Good boy, Cyrus. Next category is face of faces. Ooh, Enlighten me. So face of faces, we don't really have any contemporary things for Cyrus, but we have some for later. Okay. Some of his uh, descendants yes. later on. I need to make a drawing. Yes, please do make the drawing. Should I, I draw him like as a young boy, you know, like draw leading... whichever version of Cyrus you want to see. Oh you, no, you I need can, to make can, a full comic. <laughs> you can draw baby Cyrus the child of prophecy, teenage Cyrus taking over the throne, adult Cyrus taking Babylon. Old age Cyrus being chopped off with his head. Yes. Okay, I'm done. You may look now. Okay, great. So let me see. Ooh, I like this. This is very cool. Okay, so we have a baby Cyrus who is... Talking to Styages. Talking to Styages and shining with light because he is wonderful. He's a prophecy child. Yes, he's the child of prophecy and he's excellent. And he's explaining why he had this noble kid lashed because they were playing kingdom. Exactly, so now he knows. Next, there's 20-year-old Cyrus riding into battle, always with his nice shiny halo because, of course, he's great. And looking very cool and fierce. Yeah, I couldn't draw Harpagus, but, you know, he's he's there. This is their initial charge. It's in there. And the final is the death where there's Tamiris holding Cyrus's head up by the hair, and so sad. Yeah. But yes, so that's very nice. We even have a comic this time. Not just one <laughs> image, we have a full illustration. So now let me show you more historical ones. So, so let me specify. This first one is attributed as Cyrus, because under it it says, I am Cyrus, king of kings, and mm. so forth. But this was made a few generations after Cyrus by someone else. Right. So we don't know if this is meant to be Cyrus in the first place, if mm. it is something else, because it looks sort of like a divine guardian as well. Uh-huh. Okay. Which is why it looks cool. <laughs> so yeah, so I'll show you and you describe it to me. So here, Ooh. What, what I have is the carving version and the yes. drawing from the carving. So I, we'll describe it to our listeners. I like that I kind of went with a halo, some kind of like divine strange, yeah. you know, vibe because this has the same vibe to it. It is a carving of this man in profile with like a gigantic crown like headpiece on his head, which I don't really know what it's supposed to represent, but I'm sure it's some kind of, you know. I don't know either. I think it's kind of unclear what crown this is. It looks like a snake and then things growing out of it. It's really, really awesome. We'll put it on the channel so you can look at it. And then he has four wings at least, like, coming from behind him, which, really cool aesthetic. I really dig it. Yeah, and he has a really cool hairstyle or headpiece, like, you know, a hat. And this um, sort of is the the hat that is being used in later illustrations. <gasps> oh, like, there is this... Uh, I see. 19th, so it, 19th century lithography, which is also what 
is used in a lot of video games to depict Cyrus. This okay. is usually the, the version of the face they go for. I wonder who the artist was. Like, I don't know. If I can find it, I'll put it up in the notes. But so this is an engraving. It actually looks like a helmet, like a metal helmet that is just fitted to his skull and it goes from his forehead to the back of his head in like little lines, kind of fluted lines mm -hmm. simulating kind of hair or fabric strands. I guess. And it has a star on the side, which goes with my theory of like the Captain America vibes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. What are you thinking for face of faces? Are you impressed? Are you it's not a bit so sad impressed? That we do not have any actual. Unfortunately, no. That's uh, we're still in the period where we don't uh, conserve much. But you know, he goes with what I had in mind, which is he probably grew a beard at some point because that was seemed to be in style. Yeah, a beard for a man tends <laughs> to be the the typical thing here in Iran. And I really, really like the wings. I just I love any kind of feathered. Yes. representation it's always good so I expected this you. gives extra points the clothing is also has really beautiful in the engraving in the mm -hmm. ancient engraving it has really beautiful details on the sides which is fun it's just a shame we can't actually judge his face yeah unfortunately but, it's um it's not contemporary and it's not made by yeah him. and we're not even sure it's him actually exactly that, exactly it might just be that's a guardian was, divinity yes. that's protecting the that is what that's what i was saying so i can't give him that many points what are you thinking although he does get extra points for the possibility mm -hmm. that it might be him i think maybe it's out of 10 this is out of 10 i, I always ask it's always it's going all, to be all the ratings you have to give are out of 10 yes. then the spreadsheet fixes them okay because you know i will be asking for the first like 10 episodes sure i'd say maybe a four four okay i was gonna go for four or five i was because... more impressed i was aiming for a seven no, I'll go for a four. Because it's not contemporary, but it's not like it's a thousand years later. It's well, like no. A, a hundred. But we don't know if it's him, though. I know. It's like, oh, it can be a deity. And it's like, yeah, it's a cool sure. and grieving, but like, eh. You've talked me down to a six. Yeah. You still with a four? I think so. Okay, so let me punch that in. He did very well on other things. Just, yeah, you know, fine. faces not available. I got a six, you got a four, which gives us a total of 2.5 out of five for face of faces. Cool. The last category is lengthiness. How many years do you think he ruled to do all of this stuff? Well, he started when he was 20. About, yes. And then he died at 50, so 30 years. <laughs> uh, actually, a bit less. It oh. seems like Herodotus is underestimating his yeah. age at rebellion. Yeah, because it's cooler if it's young man. Yeah. yeah. So he reigned from 553 to 530 BC. So a total of 23 years, which gives him a lengthiness score of 2.3 out of... Okay. Basically five. So we get to the final scores, which are ooh, unexpected, and I'm sure people will be very annoyed at us. Listen, so we'll see. You have to take into account that it's not just how much we like him; it's also are there sources at all? Can we yeah, believe what we're being told? And also, he's a goody two shoes, so he didn't get many points, not yeah. categories. So yeah, 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 and also not all of the categories are actually like good, particularly. Yeah. In being good for the Empire, he got top marks, yeah. so we'll see. But anyway, without further ado, he got 52.8 points out of 100. So he is in the 50s club, but upsettingly for all the Cyrus fans, he is only second after our boy Saxaris. I see. <laughs> Mostly, and I've been looking at the score of why this is, 
Cyrus had a cooler death, but Saixaris was a lot schemier and more shocking. Yes. What with all the child murder and yes. The- <laughs> I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> you cannot see Cyrus was just very good and kind yeah. and lovely. Because those two were comparable in battle hardness and Aaron yeah. Shine, but in the rest, Saixaris went just a little bit over, so. Uh, yeah, Saixaris has 57.8 and Cyrus yes. only 52.8. Honestly, so that makes sense. Five points of difference overall. But this is why we have the final category. Of course. So we can just give our personal opinion. Yeah, and again, the points are just a general idea. Yeah. In the final showdown, we won't look at points. We'll just look at how cool and memorable yes. they are. So we'll see. We will see if I remember any of them. And Definitely. that will tell us a lot. <laughs> That'll be interesting in a couple of years. So the final question, as you said, it is... Is our boy Cyrus the Second, Cyrus the Great, the child of prophecy? Is he a Shahanshah or is he just a Shahanah? Well, he's obviously a Shahanshah. He's a king of the universe, king of all of the empires, king of everything, and the coolest human. Yes, apparently. I think we would be lynched if so- we didn't give him a Shahanshah. <laughs> and it's kind of obvious. Like, he's just yeah. a really interesting person. He has a book called the Cyropedia, named after how cool he's he is. He's not a person anymore, he's a myth. Like, of course you have to give him Shahanshah. Yeah, he has become beyond just this historical figure. Regardless of what he actually did, we're actually judging the person, whoever it was, who created such an enormous empire. Exactly, and then all of his descendants are going to build on him, and he is the symbol. He is there. Like, all the stories we told you from Xenophon and the Cyropedia, those are all stories that people at the court of his descendants told about him. Those, yeah. That's everything that they remember from Cyrus and how wonderful and great he is. So yes, yeah, so congratulations, Cyrus. You're Shahanshah. You can now go into your new paradise garden. Yes. With Saixaris and you can talk with each other. and To impress the Greeks who apparently <laughs> had never seen gardens. Yes, apparently they've <laughs> seen no gardens ever. But yes, you two can talk about how great you are and you can discuss if we've been unfair in our ratings. The different, the different battles. So that's it. That's the end of Cyrus the Great, our longest episode so far. Hope you enjoyed it. Please don't lynch us. <laughs> yeah, it'll be fine. I know, fine. like, we know Cyrus is a favorite of many of you. We hope we did him yes. justice, you know? Definitely. And Cyrus sort of got a two-part episode because Astyges yes. was basically Cyrus part one, so sort of got a good treatment. And, you know, just because he's very good, we are happy to have covered him. And we'll get to cover Cambyses, his son, next time, which Wait. is going to be... Very interesting, and I'm looking forward to it a lot. Me too. I have no idea about what might happen, so yes, now that he was handed such a big empire to rule, we will yeah. see. Is he going to pull an Astyages and lose it again? Yeah. <laughs> Just because? Or, you know, is he going to actually be competent? We'll find out uh, what happens there. Interesting. Okay, thank you so much for listening. I'm very excited because this is the second episode with people actually where the podcast has actually launched. So we will be checking your comments and your reviews, and we're very excited. Hope everyone is enjoying what we're putting out there. Really encouraging to see all the messages of support. Also, thank you so much to Las Plumas de Simurg, or Plumas on Twitter, who had us on her stream a few days ago, obviously a few weeks ago by the time you listen to this, but I'm pretty sure you can find the thing on yeah, YouTube. Yeah, the VOD we'll, is available on YouTube. And- we will link it below if you want to see a small interview with us both, where we talk a little bit about the podcast and about Persian culture and, yeah. you know. It was, just- it was a great, really fun conversation. We had a great time there, so. That way you can also find more information about her. She shares a lot about Iranian 
mythology and culture in general. So, you know. Yeah, so that's a good way to get... Shout out. Get through it. If you need to contact us, there will be social media links on the show notes. And until we see you next time. Thanks for listening. Yeah, thanks for listening. And uh, see you next time for Ken Bices the Second. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>